It's time for Tim. The Tim Weisberg Show on 1420 WBSM and streaming live on WBSM.com and the WBSM app. Talk to Tim now at 508-996-0500 or send him a message through the WBSM app. And now, WBSM's big gun, Tim Weisberg. And welcome back in. It is the third and final hour here on Monday. In just a few moments, we're going to be turning on the light with Jack Spillane of New Bedford Light. But really quickly, I just want to read, uh, there is a, an app chat message that came in that I want to read because I was characterizing the carnival as being too expensive. And I just want to, first of all, say I was... Um, Citing what some people are saying about the carnival. Uh, to me, I would buy a wristband if I was going to go anyway. Like I would never go and do individual tickets for any of these things because that's how you get roped into spending more than you want to. You go on a ride, you had so much fun, you're out of tickets, you got to go buy more tickets. I like the wristband idea and because then you don't have to worry about any of those things. So that's, I was always a wristband guy when my son was little and we went to things and when I was a teenager and I went with my friends, always the wristbands. But, um, Bob in New Bedford says, hello, Tim. The carnival is not that expensive. I went Friday night, 30 bucks unlimited rides for most days, 40 bucks Friday and Saturday. Buy online and they waive the $2 admission fee. And this is the third year they've charged admission. See, I was hearing from people this is the first year they charged admission. He says it's the third year. Have a great day. First time using the app. Hopefully I sent this in correctly. You absolutely did. And uh, thank you for sending in the message and sending in that info. So if you go to the Fiesta Show's website or the Dartmouth Mall site, you'll be able to get all of these great discounts for it. But I, I would think most people are probably going to try to buy those. But I saw a lot of people in front of that machine buying those individual ride credits, you know, putting in a hundred bucks and getting 700 and something credits. So I don't think that everybody was, um, was necessarily redeeming that for, for, uh, wristbands, but there you go. How, how popular is that Dartmouth carnival? When I was there, it's hard to judge because it was, it was starting to rain. Oh, this weekend. Yeah. So, uh, but I, you know, there's still a good amount of people there. So from my understanding, it is very popular. And that on a you know on a Friday or Saturday night when there isn't bad weather, that it's it's pretty packed because uh-huh. I, I heard people last year complaining about how long they waited to ride rides. So, so it's competitive with the feast of the Whaling City Festival. Uh-huh. I would think so. In terms of in terms of like the people that want to go to it, it doesn't have as much to offer as those events do. So it and and it doesn't have as many rides as those events do either. So um, I think. You know, I think that there's going to be some more information that comes out about this. So I'm sure we're not done talking about it over the course of the week. As that resident said, she's going to talk to the select board later on today and uh, she'll update me on what she hears. So, but I know that the select board isn't happy with how things shook out either. So I'm sure there'll be some, some more news uh, on that. I'm wondering where else you could do it in Dartmouth. It's not like New Bedford where there are a number of places. Uh, maybe you could do it at the, um, the SU, um, the, the, uh, Burgo, uh, 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 fields, uh, but this, the, the problem is, is having a carnival this time of year, like schools are always a great place to hold them, but you can't because school's in session. So, you know, I just think having it in April is not the best course of action. It rains a lot in April. Too. Yeah. Uh, but I, I looked back in some year, I guess last year or the year before it was in, in July. And I'm assuming that was because of the pandemic throwing schedules off. But uh, it seemed like it had been this time of year most years. So it's a spring carnival. That's the idea. But I just, it seems iffy to me. It always seems iffy. It's like when I see, you know, we're going to have WrestleMania in an outdoor arena in April. I'm like, are you sure? 
Because, uh, you know, if you don't have a dome, you could be in trouble. Anyway, uh, speaking of giant stadium shows, nobody's better at that than the Rolling Stones. So let's uh, play a little Rolling Stones here. Time to turn on the light with Jack Spillane of New Bedford Light. Good morning, Jack. How are you? Hi there. And uh, it's been quite a week. There's been a lot going on. Uh, of course, today news broke of this uh, this complaint that the city has put forward toward the MBTA that might turn into a lawsuit that the MBTA took land by eminent domain for the MBTA station and to store some trains that it didn't have the right to take because the city was not an MBTA district at the time that they took it. And part of the problem is that the dollars that they gave them for it, just under a half a million dollars, is not what the city feels is the, the fair market value for that. Yeah, so, and it's interesting. When I read that story, I, I thought, okay, so they're basing this on another MBTA case where they took by eminent domain private land and uh, the private owner sued them and got twice as much money about, I think, as to what the MBTA gave them. So now the city is doing the same thing. There are a couple of things I didn't understand. Where, where, which exact property is this? Is it downtown? Or it's the it Church Street area. It's Church Street. Yes. Okay, so that was city-owned property. I didn't realize there was city-owned property there. And um, th- that property is in back of uh, one of the strip malls on Kings Highway, I believe. So there is some value to it. Um, but could this potentially keep the train from from starting on time? Uh, as it wends its way through the courts. And also, anybody that follows the MBTA knows the MBTA is always broke. It is always up, you know, um, as trains have gotten more expensive to operate, is always having poor service and, you know, just have all kinds of troubles. Like, you know, um, the city seems to be adding to that just as it wants train service. But I understand the city's point of view, too. Why should they get underpaid for their land? And and I, I also wonder if this isn't something to do with why it took so long for that vote to happen to become an MBTA district. Was 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 that part of the holdup of that? I know what? we were told that they were told that they had to join it, and that they, you know, they kind of reacted once once well, they were they told said that was the vote had to take place the year before the train service was supposed to open. So that was why they. They just had to do it last year. My, it my, had to happen by a year before. Yes. It didn't have to happen within a year before. Okay. So it could have happened five years ago. Oh, so I thought it was the exact the year before the year before. I don't, I don't think so. I think it had to happen by it had to happen by the year before you planned on having it open. Huh. So you, within a year of when you planned on so if you planned on service in 2023, it had to happen by the end of 2022. It didn't mean it had to happen in 2022. Yeah, I, I understood it a different way. It'd be interesting. Maybe to, to maybe I'm that, wrong. To pin that down. But either way, um, you know the the fact that they feel that they're getting underpaid for this land. The only thing that's going to happen here is the MBTA is going to have to pony up the money, which, as you said, they they probably don't have. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see uh, what happens here, whether they fight the city in court, which is lawyers, uh, or whether they just pony up the money. You've got to think it will leave a bad taste in the state's mouth. The state feels like after many years we finally built this railroad for you, and now you're suing us. But I guess business is business. The city, obviously, these days is desperate for money. Um, uh, it needs development. It, it you know, it, it needs taxes. <laughs> um Maybe they feel I have to do it. Now the Globe talked to some of the state delegation, and they were all uh, they were all surprised that this happened. That they 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 were kind of taken aback by this. 
Yeah, once again, the, the, the municipal government and the state delegation don't seem to be in close cooperation, in close communication. Uh, the same situation with the city council. I don't know why that is. Seems like there's blame, blame to go around. Um, uh, that's too bad. So I know, I know Marcus is working on trying to get, uh, the person who wrote the article, uh, on South Coast tonight. By the way, Marcus is out the next two nights. Jess Machado is going to be filling in for him on South Coast tonight. And I reached out to Mayor Mitchell's office this morning and said, you know, I know that we don't have the regular Wednesday segment this week because it's the State of the City address. Could Mayor Mitchell maybe call in for 10 minutes this morning to talk about this? And I haven't heard back yet. So, um, I'm going to guess it's because they, they don't want to say anything. They didn't give any comment to the Globe and, um, I don't, I just don't know if maybe they are holding back on saying anything at this point. Well, what I usually do in cases like that is I write a column. <laughs> right. <laughs> so the city is not, is not talking. Sometimes they do, although sometimes they just ignore me too. I mean, it could also just be it's Monday morning and they don't have time for me, you know, things going on. But, uh, the phone lines are open and, and Mayor Mitchell, you're welcome to call in at any point about it. Speaking of the mayor, uh, we had this past Thursday the city council meeting in which they voted whether or not to sustain or override the vetoes that he put out for the three ballot questions. And they voted, the, the council voted to sustain all three vetoes. And also as part of that night, they pushed through the nomination of Mayor Mitchell's pick for the Greater New Bedford Vote Tech School Committee, Carol Pimentel. So it was a, a big win for the mayor last Thursday night. Yeah, I have to say I was a little bit surprised it ended up that way. Any way you cut it, it's a big win for the mayor and a particularly big defeat for Councilors Morad and Councilor Brian Gomes. I think those are the two longstanding councilors. They they uh, sponsored two of the three referendum, which apparently came out of nowhere because there were no committee hearings. They were sponsored, proposed, and approved that night. Um, both those questions, the um, CPA question on Morad's behalf, went down big uh, on a three to eight vote. And the four-year mayoral vote went down, I think, on a six-to-five vote. Um, you know, and they should have gone down. Both questions have been voted on in the last 10 years. And the councils who switched their votes finally found their voices. Evidently, they heard from their constituents. They heard from the business community. Why are we going to vote again on two questions that we already voted on? The rent stabilization question was a little bit um, – it was a six-to-five vote also. But I think it was a six-to-five vote in favor but they needed eight votes. Um, that also went down. Again, I think that Councillor Burgo made a, a big mistake by go, by aligning himself with Councillors Morad and Gomes, uh, uh, you know, two of the councillors who had the poorest relationship with the administration. If you're going to try to do something big and you're going to cut the mayor out, I, I'm not sure that that's really going to stand up over a veto in the long run. I mean, you may not like the mayor, but he has a big influence in what's going on with the city, and you really have to build toward a consensus. That might mean that you don't get everything you want, but I think what we saw was councilors in the middle, the moderate councilors, saying, you know what, everybody knows we need to do something about housing in the city. We need to find a, a way where we can compromise and you know, maybe it's not as far as you want to go on rent control. Maybe it's not as just what the mayor wants to do on making it solely a development issue. The mayor basically wants to use government money to uh, spur development and also to loosen up the zoning regulations. Those are good things. I'm a little bit skeptical whether it would be enough. Maybe this rent control is different. But when Councilor Burgo said he did not talk to the mayor ahead of time because he felt the mayor was reflexively against it, I knew that was a mistake. In, in government, I think we see this in the national level, 
We see it in the state level. When one side thinks they're going to dominate the other side and they're just going to big foot them into into getting all what they want, it hardly ever works. Right. Now, America is a middle country. You've got to compromise. The city is a, is is not Cambridge. It is New Bedford. And you really have to, you know, um, work with, with, with the other side. You have to make your case. And I think trying to push it through, if we get this through, we'll then be able to say, oh, this, the public voted for it. You have to do what we want, which is an, uh, event stabilization. Yeah, maybe, but there are, there are good arguments on both sides of this issue. I think they, as Councilor Markey said the other night, let's work together. Let's come up with something that maybe nobody thinks is perfect but that we can all live with. That's the way they got through um, Obamacare. That's the way, you know, the infrastructure bill got through at the national level last year. So Council President Moore at Friday when, when she was on the program, you know, in some ways the council can look at this as a little bit of a win because they did get the conversation started about some of these things. So in I, a way... I disagree with that. Sure. But I'm just saying how, you know, how it was characterized. I mean, we've been talking about the issue of housing in this city for a year now. Well, uh, there's so there's the perception that, you know, that putting this question out might have, you know, spurred on the the city's comprehensive housing plan. I think that that was in the works anyway, but you know, maybe maybe got released a little bit sooner than than planned. Um I think it certainly would have been out by the time of the state of the city address anyway. Uh secondly, that, you know, maybe maybe some citizens take up if there are citizens who have an issue with the CPA or with the four year mayoral term, maybe some citizens take this up and get it placed on the ballot in a binding way through the signature process. But it also it also led to discussions now about a recall provision, which is now moving forward, you know, something that sides had supported, but now they're actually moving forward with it because of the question bringing that up. But then it also could backfire a little bit too, because now there's a citizen movement to get term limits put on, put in for, you know, city officials. So that's the way uh, I I will maintain my position that the way this was done was ham handed, was rushed. It was not a community discussion. They were proposed and voted onto the ballot in the same night. All three questions. You know, I, I'll just rest my case there. Um, as far as a community-wide discussion, there was already a community-wide discussion because we are clearly in a crisis about housing costs in the city. I, I, I just felt that this was like the, the worst of New Bedford government, one side trying to, to bigfoot their way in and get the, and, and force people who have reasonable concerns about what they were doing to, 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 to bend to them. Um, you always could have collected signatures to bring the, the mayoral term back to two years. You always could collect signatures to get rid of the CPA. I, I doubt that there is um, any group that – I st- certainly doubt that there is any group besides Councilor Moray that is passionate about getting rid of the CPA. She, she claimed in that meeting, I think she said 127 out of 139 people she talked yeah, to were against were, it. But there were people that no, – so. Councillor Moraes says she has all these people talking to her, but nobody else has people talking to her. Nobody's to, called into the station being complaining about it. it. Now, what she said was, I talked to 120 whatever people, but anyone who knows Councillor Moraes, she's a very smart person, but the way she would have framed that conversation is, do you support raising your taxes, you know, uh, to, to do projects that you don't even know about, you know, or, or whatever, however she framed it, you know, she, put, she got the response that she wanted. There is no great outrage in the city about CPAs. I'm around the city all the time. If anything, people like it. If anything, most people don't understand it and would be amenable to whoever is describing it to them as to what position they take on it. Um, as far as the four-year mayoral term, we've only had one four-year mayor. Uh, it would not be in time. 
again, those signatures were collected. If people really feel that passionate about it, go collect the signatures. That's what the people did who, who proposed the four-year mail mm-hmm. term. They went out and collected the signatures. This was a quick and dirty way to get it back on the ballot. Without it being binding, you would have had to go out and vote on it, put it back on the ballot a second time. Anyway, it was just piggybacking on the rent stabilization. It really was, in my mind... The, just the worst of city government where people are, are just trying to manipulate the process for their own pet pet projects. I, it really disturbed me. I thought it was a, a low point for the council. So we've been talking throughout the course of this year, uh, since this year started, that there's a sense of, you know, the council is trying to project themselves as, as one, as working together as one one body. But do you feel like these votes show that it isn't one voice coming out of that chamber? Well, well, there are times in the Bedford's form of government where the, where the council may want to act as one. But most times, there'll be people with different opinions. And those opinions shun forth. I think if these questions had been studied, you know, you wouldn't have had people changing their votes from the first night to last night. I, th- I think that the way it was done was there had not even been a discussion. And then when councilors heard the discussion, they changed their minds. You know, it really was politicking. And I, I, I just think that, that it wasn't the right way to do it. Um, you know, now we have no questions on the ballot, but we still have, of all three of them, a serious housing crisis in the city. And we do have to have a community-wide conversation. Councilor Burgo has said he wants to have public hearings. I do think he needs to respect the moderate and conservative interests in the city and invite the real estate associations, invite the um, mayor's office, invite the different uh, the, the um, chamber of commerce and try to come up with a consensus um, way to move forward on this issue. So uh, we do have to take a break. Caller, hang on. We will get to you when we come back from the break. Um, but I just want to take the break really quickly so we don't fall behind. But before I do that, uh, I got a, a message from uh, Ward 3 Councilor Sean Oliver who said um, there's a sewer line break on Nosset Street. The road is closed to through traffic for the next two to three days. So please avoid the area if possible. He says he has spoken with local businesses and they will be open through the repairs. Uh, so please plan accordingly. Uh, the businesses uh, that are in front of it are General Supply and Metal and Chuck's Liquors and Kitchens and Baths. So in that area of Nosset Street, there's going to be some work done um, with a sewer line break over the next two to three days. The businesses are going to be open, but obviously, you know, tr- try to avoid the area otherwise if you are just traveling through. So thank you to Councillor Oliver for that update, and uh, we'll let you know uh, whatever else we hear about that as we move forward. All right, got to take a break. We'll be back in a few moments with your phone calls for Jack Spillane. Welcome back in. We are turning on the light with Jack Spillane of New Bedford Light. Let's go to the phones, 508-996-0500. Good morning. You were on with Jack Spillane. Hi, Tim. Good morning. Good morning, morning, Jack. Hi, Catherine. It was nice to see you uh, at the meeting, Jack. Yes. Um, Always nice to meet people in person because they they never look like what you think they'll look like. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's strange, isn't it? I know. Yeah. A couple of comments about the meeting and then uh, kind of a a question. Um, I was very pleasantly surprised that there was actual, you know, discussion going on at the meeting. That was the first... Uh, meeting that held any kind of discussion since I started going to these city council meetings in December. Um, and so uh, that's a good sign. Um, I think, you know, it certainly was a win for the mayor in, in terms of, you know, all of his vetoes were sustained. But, um, well, largely for the city, I would say, too. 
because, uh, you know, the two votes had already been taken on the two of the issues, and I felt if they had ignored that, um, then, you know, if, if that... If, if those two referenda had gone through, it would have been as though we didn't vote just not that many years ago. So I'm glad that happened. I do think, obviously, there's a big problem with uh, housing in the city, but I don't think that that, uh, unfortunately, I don't think that addendum addressed them, addressed it in any good way. So um, and I would also like to comment that I think it was some of us, Council Morad, and, and I don't know, I'm not sure who said it. Oh, and Burgo, um, and I don't know about Brian Gomes. Um, that that was a very quick report that the mayor's office, that the mayor put together. Uh, I, I don't think it was a very quick report from what I've heard. It took some time, so I have a feeling it was in the works, as I think, Tim, you had mentioned earlier today, um, earlier in this hour. Um, and... Uh, I guess my larger question is, well, I'm very glad that a number of city councilors spoke up and didn't was, weren't all just nodding their heads in agreement. Why did they change their votes or why, why did they not disagree with some of these uh, proposed uh, referenda at the beginning? when there had been no discussion whatsoever. Why did they all just agree? I think most of them, if not all of them, did except one. That, that's an interesting question, Catherine. I, I, I kind of thought about that myself. And my take on it, and I don't have any information, but my take on it is that the council views itself as a, a single body and likes to think of itself as you know, a, a, a counterweight to the mayor. And when councilors bring up um, ideas, um, they're inclined to go with them uh, if they don't know more about them. And I, I think we've seen this a couple of times this year where, where they, you know, Councilor Morad and Councilor Carney, um, proposed very expensive, uh, uh, salary increases for, uh, seven or eight city employees. And the councilors originally went along with it only to reverse themselves, not as far as some people would have wished, you know, when they heard from the community. And so I think that, there was a bias in the council to go with what other councilors proposed, particularly powerful councilors like Morad and Gomes, who have been around for a long time, mm-hmm. even before they have a lot of information. And then as they get more input from the constituents to to back away. And, and some of what I heard was that because the way these questions were being framed originally was it was a chance to ask the citizens what they feel about these issues that they said, okay, well, if that's what we're doing, if it's a non-binding question, I don't see where that goes. And then what happened is they heard from the people already and they said, well, we don't need to go this far because I'm hearing overwhelmingly that the people don't want this or do want or whatever it might be. So they decided that they didn't need to to put it before the public anymore. And, And several of them said that, well, two of these, two of the three questions have already been voted on in recent years, but, yes. that, that, but that would have been apparent the first night that they were proposed. Yes. Right. Yes. I did, one, one other point that you, something you just said, Jack, reminded me. When Council Morad um, commented that, you know, so many, whatever number of people in her uh, ward were calling about, you know, uh, real estate uh, tax, taxes increasing because of this uh, community funding, Oh my God! Is she not embarrassed? She, 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 and all of the others went along with a twenty-five percent cap on salaries. I don't understand how she can stand there, or any of them uh, who voted for it. And I think it was all of them. 
and and uh, you talk about this piddly amount compared to what's going to happen with the salary increases. And from what I heard, uh, water and sewer bills doubling next year, um, in part because the city council missed a, a grant deadline. Well, um, this- so I, I just uh, I'm, I'm glad there's a change of heart. I hope it continues that city councils don't just go along. Um, but there's much, you know, that's already been done, the damage, and uh, need to have a change. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, some of the councillors have been on there too long. I do I do think that, that there is um, a problem when you are talking about uh, things like the um, CPA that cost maybe $80 a, uh, a, a half a year. Uh, uh, hold on. Somebody's going to app chat and correct. It's about $45 on average. Well, uh, it, it, there are two tax bills, right, a year. Uh, I, I think I'm a New Bedford property taxpayer. So, uh, there were four. There were four. So that shows how much. Jack just pays two and then he says, yeah. but whatever. I mean, people are obsessing about the cost of the CPA, but the same people are, are approving, you know, these salary increases. They're approving um, health care without exploring the state's alternative to have a less expensive health care. They're not pressuring the state legislative delegation to change the pension system, which is very expensive for the city. You know, so, you know, where there really is money to be saved, they're not giving a hard time. Much more significant money. Yeah, much more significant money. They're not giving a hard time to the union contracts by ever rejecting them. Uh, So the same councilors who seem to, you know, be willing to pay anything for city employees, especially favored city employees, and then get all upset about the CPA, uh, as far as the water and sewer bills, that uh, the increases are due to a consent agreement with the EPA and the DEP as to how to separate the water and sewer lines so that they do not uh, pour raw sewage during rainstorms into New Bedford Harbor and so that outdated uh, uh, water infrastructure lines can be upgraded. The work needs to be done. You know, you could argue that we've been paying less than it was needed for a long time. Uh, the city council did refuse during the pandemic to borrow money, and that only makes the increase um, a little more expensive one year. But the, the, the big part of the expense is something that is in these consent agreements. Even the mayor says he does not think that the environmental law is fair to New Bedford citizens. But on the other hand, um, you know, I really don't want to dump raw sewage into the harbor. So I, I think, no. you know, some of the cleanup needs to be done. So, All right, no. Catherine. Well, thank you for the call. Thanks. Bye. Have a good day. And if you want to call in 508-996-0500, you can also hit us up uh, on App Chat on the WBSM app. Why don't we take our next break? We'll be back with more with Jack Spillane turning on the light in just a few moments. And welcome back in. We are turning on the light with Jack Spillane of New Bedford Light. If you want to call in 508 508- Nine nine six zero five hundred, or hit us up on App Chat or Open Line on the WBSM app. Uh, Jack, you had a, a great piece this week about the way that Sheriff Haro handled what went on at the jail a week ago this past Friday, as opposed to you know the the way. So the I, let me characterize that differently. Uh, the way that Sheriff former Sheriff Hodgson responded to the way that Sheriff Haro handled things, as opposed to you know how maybe uh, Sheriff Nelson didn't criticize Sheriff Hodgson for what happened under his watch. Yeah, so I understand that different sheriffs will have different philosophies and uh, different politicians do and that there is room for discussion of those things. But I think when a guy is so new in the office as Sheriff Haro is, he's in his first three or four months, we've had this riot, and I I do believe it was a riot, um, not a violent riot, but a 
Uh, that, that is the term. Uh, for it was it, a yes. riot uh, as, as far as damage to property. Um, that he handled it. No one was hurt. Um, uh, and there was a lot of second guessing by Sheriff Hodgson as you could have gone in faster. Uh, what he should learn from this, I think the direct quote was, uh, what he should learn from this is that um, you go in faster and you use the dogs. Um, I, I, I think those are defensible positions for Sheriff Hodgson to have. I don't think he needs to be second guessing Sheriff Harrow so much early on during his tenure, especially when he brought that riot to an end safely and securely. Neither inmates nor nor um, uh, corrections officers were injured. Um, as I tried to lay out in my column, these uprisings do occur under both progressive and conservative sheriffs. They're part of the nature of a correctional facility. Sometimes the inmates, uh, many of whom have a lot of problems, uh, uh, behave badly. One thing I was fascinated to learn was that, the, that roughly half of the cells uh, do not lock um, because they do not have toilets, and there's a court order about that, and that um, that is a danger to riots, and maybe we're going to be able to um, uh, address that situation, which arguably could have been addressed a long time ago. Which, uh, yeah, it certainly seems like that's the case, and it was already part of the plan, so they could close Ash Street, but Sheriff Arrow was saying now he's going to ask the legislature for, you know, kind of emergency funding to be able to start getting that done sooner rather than later. So, with that in mind, you know, as you point out in the column, there were multiple instances where things happened under Sheriff Hodgson, and you never heard criticism of that from his predecessor. Yeah, now maybe Sheriff Nelson did criticize him. I, I, nev- I never heard it. it. They were both Republicans. Sheriff Harrow is a Democrat. Uh, um, Sheriff Nelson was known as more moderate than Sheriff Hodgson. Again, I think all these philosophies are defensible. You know, one's, one's very conservative, maybe not the practices I would like. Uh, one's progressive, one's more moderate. Um, I do think that um, when Sheriff um, Hodgson had that very bad riot on Easter Sunday in 2001, um, they were in the prison yard, and that was one of the problems. You had glass at the time which they have unbreakable glass now, and they were able to break in to the corrections officer's console and let people out. It was a very dangerous riot. He probably had to act quickly and maybe including even dogs. Um, but every riot is different. You know, Sheriff Harrow acted the way he did. The point that I was trying to make in the column was he's a new guy. He's doing, you know, he seems to be doing a reasonably good job. He's addressing what I think are some longstanding issues with the um, cells not locking, the toilets um, not being in the cells, and, and the antiquated Ash Street Jail. Um, so give him a chance to, to do his things. Maybe a year or two, if you're still unsatisfied, then you can begin to second-guess him more. Maybe that's asking too much for, for people who um, have such... Um, different uh, attitudes well, and, and access to talk radio. Well, but. I'll say a couple of things are <laughs> at play here. One is we're kind of pulling former Sheriff Hodgson into the talk radio world. We're trying to, you know, we're utilizing him as a, as a host and we're having him come on as a as a co-host for some things. So, like, we, we definitely want him to be in that mindset. So that's, and, if, and of course, you're going to call him first when there's anything going on that you all, you call Sheriff Haro first, but, you know, when you want somebody to analyze and break it down, you also call former Sheriff Hodgson. I think that's part of it. And I think part of it, too, is the the media landscape is a little bit different now than it would have been in yeah. those days for Sheriff Hodgson where, you know, you are expecting people to um, to comment and, and to offer insight and, and analysis on that. So we it's it's certainly a different format. And I don't I don't think that what I heard from Sheriff Hodgson, former Sheriff Hodgson, is 
it it to me it didn't feel like it was anything personal towards Sheriff Harrow. It was and it wasn't sour grapes for losing the election. It wasn't like, see, this is what happened when you elect a, a guy with liberal policies. It was more of just a him breaking down why he would have done things differently and what what he felt was the the yeah. response. I, 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 may get, I may get in trouble here, but I, I'm known for saying what I think. I, I think maybe some of the um, uh, pundits, the talk show hosts, were, were leading the sheriff into saying it's the, this is what you get with liberal policies. I think sheriff. Well, Hodgson, certainly, all the callers and app chat <laughs> messages were saying that. Sure, and and Sheriff Hodgson, um, in his defense, was responding to Sheriff Harrow's criticism of him for using the dogs in a much smaller uh, riot uh, involving only about twenty twenty five. Uh, detainees at the um, ICE Center. Um, I, I think both Sheriff Hodgson and Harrow are in a difficult position. I mean, Sheriff Harrow was asked about what did you think about the ICE report and the release of the ICE videos, so he gives his, his truthful answer. Sheriff Hodgson is asked about what did you think about the riot that happened um, a few weeks ago, and he gives his answers, and they both end up, because they have different philosophies, sounding critical of each other. Uh, my main interest in writing that column was I just want to, you know, he's a new guy, um, I want to give him a chance. You know, I want to let him make his mistakes, let him have his victories. You know, and I think Sheriff Hartson, you know, at some point said it is his right to do things the way he wants to do them. But I, I didn't think that Sheriff Harrow's response was so obviously problematic and, and troubling that you, that he needed to have a lot of criticism. I thought it was a pretty good response. Well, five other sheriff's offices were present. The Department of Corrections were present. Mass State Police were present. We're not hearing from any of these folks that this could have been done better. We aren't hearing from these other organizations, these other um, departments that, you know, we had to go and stand around all there all day because Sheriff Rowe didn't know what he was doing. Like, nobody's saying that. And as you pointed out in your in your piece, that it was it wasn't about needing the help. I mean, it was because obviously they, they're understaffed, so they, they don't want to go in there with less guards, less, sorry, correctional officers than they have prisoners. But as you said, too, it's also about the show of force. You want to cause problems? Look at this. It's not just us that's going to come down here and handle it. It's all of our friends and neighbors in the law enforcement community are going to come down here and handle this too. So it really kind of is a diffusion to any future uprisings like yeah, that. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting when Sheriff Haro said there are windows um, on those cells where they were and they could look out and see as the show of force got bigger and bigger and bigger and most of them capitulated to that when, when it actually came time to go in with the flashbangs and the... Um, uh, uh, they actually had rubber bullets, which they did not use, and the um, flashbangs, and there was one other tear thing, gas. Tear gas. Um, yeah, I think the sheriff's position, more than any other position on South Coast, reflects the national divide we have between Democrats and Republicans, between progressives and conservatives, as the way that that correction should be handled, the way immigration should be handled, the way crime should be handled, and you get people who are reflexively in their corners. You know, depending on whether they're on the Democratic or the Republican side of things, and they want to reflexively criticize the other side. I thought that Sheriff Hodgson's strongest um, point was that he said, "If I had used tear gas and I had used um, uh, um, flashbangs, oh, there would have been a lot of criticism." And I think that, that he may no. have been right. No, he's but, I, but I just thought that there was a lot of people questioning Sheriff Haro very quickly for what did not seem like a reason, unreasonable response to and me. A lot of people coming in, no, this is what happens when you elect a liberal sheriff. Yeah. Um, no, this is what happens when, when you, you have, have any new sheriff that they're going to try to push and see how far they can push. And also, this is what happens when you have a riot. You know, uh, people have to make decisions out how best 
to put it down. Like, you know. Well, let's see if we can squeeze in these calls here. I do have to take one more break before the end of the hour. We can probably get some calls in. Good morning. You are next with Jack Blaine. Hello. Hi. How are you doing, guys? Good. How are you? Okay. Uh, Jack, I want to take you away from the, uh, the sheriff's department here and go back to the city council. Uh, is Scott Lima definitely now running for uh, Councilor Lodge? Well, that's an interesting question. I ran into Scott outside of City Hall the other day, and I kind of tried to press him on that. Um, uh, I, I don't think he's totally made up his mind, but I think he is leaning towards it. Okay. Uh, my understanding is that um, as Scott's life has progressed, um, he he was very focused on Ward 5 when his son was younger. You know, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of issues mm-hmm. at Buttonwood Zoo and mm-hmm. things he was interested in. Now, as his son has gotten older, th- there are other things, and he's very interested in the waterfront and um, things that are going on with the fishing and wind turbine okay. industries. Okay, my question is then of you. If he does run, who's going to be the odd person out in council at large if he, if, if he is successful? Well, it's, who do you think? I, I don't know if there will be. I mean, I think it's always hard for a challenger to get into that those five at large positions. People just vote for them. They're all at the top of the ballot, which I don't think is fair. And um, the incumbents have the advantage. I do think that some of the incumbents finish fourth or fifth. And my guess would probably be that that. Um, and I'm not sure if this is the case. The, the person who finished fifth last time was Councilor Burgo. Um, but he is the only progressive person, purely progressive person yes. on the council. Yes, yes. So I'm, not, and he's, his stature has grown. Yes. Um, Councilor Carney, I think, finished right above him. Uh, Councilor Lima, uh, will he raise enough money? Will he do, be able to do enough campaigning to, to, to get one of those seats? I don't know. Um, we'll have to see. I, I also think that, and maybe it's just me, but I, I think the way that Councilor Morad and Councilor Gomes have behaved in, in this in this term may be an issue. Maybe people have had enough of them. Well, they've know. been a, they've been around a long time, and you and I and and Tim and the others on your radio station follow that. I don't know if the average voter does, you know, and they might just know them personally. And uh, you know, we, even we, though we think certain things, uh, they still might be secure. I, I see the people at the yeah. bottom there uh, in getting uh, elected if uh, Lima comes out uh, as being uh, possibly off the. Uh, off the yeah. uh, we council. did see we did see Councillor John Saunders thrown off the council after many many years. Well, that's uh, because he told people, "Hey, if you don't want to vote for me, uh, don't vote well, for me." I, I, don't I think he lost for more than that. He's got a job now, I think. You yeah, know, I so. think I think he lost because people really had gotten tired of some of his antics. All right, I'm going to hold you there. Okay, just thanks I gotta, a lot, guys. Going to take going. the final break. Callers, hang on. We'll get to you if we have some time. Uh, one thing that I will say is uh, a possibility that you know hasn't been discussed yet is you know maybe Councillor Lima is also taking out papers for Councillor Large because maybe he knows there's an at-large councillor who's not going to do so. Very good point. It's, it's possible. Very good point. Uh, but I know that what he told Marcus and Chris uh, as of a week ago this past Friday was that he took out the papers, but he hadn't get, gathered any signatures yeah, yet. That's, so. that's, my understanding is he has not totally made up his mind. All right. Well, we'll take a break. We'll be back in a few moments. Okay. We only have one more moment here with Jack's Blaine Caller. We'll take you very quickly. You have one moment. What's on your mind? What caused the prisoners to act out? What was their grievance? They were being transferred to another unit uh, to, so the sheriff could prepare the other cells for um, anti-suicide. Why, why was that a problem for the prisoners? Because the other unit locked and they didn't they, – they, the rumor went around, according to Sheriff Haro, uh, that they were going to be placed in lockdown because they were going to a unit that locked, even though he was trying to tell them we're not going to lock you in there just because they can lock. Yeah, and and they didn't those believe him? Were murderers. They, they didn't were believe him? They did not believe him, no. All right. Thank you. Okay. 
Uh, that was that was easy. So um, we have about forty five seconds left, Jack. What are you working on this week? So uh, I'm I'm doing a post mortem on the um, the defeat of all three referendums and what that means for the council to have put them on so quickly and to have them all fail. And I'm, I'm advocating for a more deliberative process in the council and also for more, uh, there really is an issue with housing prices in the city. Of the three, I, th- I thought that was the one that does deserve some action by the council. Uh, I think Councilor Burgo is going to have to find a way to bring the more moderate voices in and, and try to arrive at consensus. All right. Well, we will talk more with Jack next week. And you can check out his work at newbedfordlight.org. Stay tuned. We have Barry Richard coming up after Bill O'Reilly, then Howie Carr, then Jess Machado is filling in tonight on South Coast Tonight. Enjoy every sandwich.